is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. such a way that we end up transforming the world around us. That has been uh, my heart's desire in these weeks. And I did not order the things that I've shared with you in any order of priority. However, I will say that the first one, in my mind, is a first priority. That was to love God, to love Jesus with all of our heart. In other words, if we're going to change anything, it has to begin with this fresh passion for Jesus, to love Jesus above everything else. And, and so I think that would be number one. He is the reason. But if I were to rank the other things that I've said, or I'm going to say, I've got two more weeks this week and next, uh, I would say that today's message would be of second importance. After loving Jesus, I would say this would be of of the second greatest priority of, as far as the things that I've shared with you. Jesus was once asked by one of the religious folks of his day, he, he was asked this question, what's the greatest commandment? And uh, you remember what he said. He answered it very quickly. He said, without hesitation, it's to love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And, and I've said many times that Jesus isn't giving us an ontological description of the, of, the, of the human being. He's not trying to tell us how many parts we are. He's trying to say with everything in us, the greatest commandment is that we love God with everything in us. But then he followed that up right away with, again, without any hesitation. He says, let me tell you the second greatest commandment as well. And he said the second greatest commandment is that we love people just like we love ourselves. Yeah, I think he said his actual words were that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Now, in my experience as a follower of Jesus for these last 40 years, um, it has been that we who are Christians, we who follow Jesus, we tend to prioritize either what we believe as Christians or what we do as Christians. We tend to put our emphasis on one of those two arenas, what we believe or what we do, what we've even got terms for, the biblical gospel and the social gospel. That's what it was called back 100 years ago. And, and still those terms somewhat work today. In other words, we tend to believe that it's imperative that we get right truth or it's imperative that we do the right thing. We tend to divide in these two camps. But I want to contend with us this morning. And I want to suggest to us that it's not an either or, that it's not one camp or the other. In fact, I want to suggest that what we believe and what we do are inextricably linked. They cannot be separated. Uh, by us. In fact, I want to. I want to make this statement. I believe it's true. If you want to know what you believe, work backwards. Work backwards from what you do. Your behavior will actually tell us what you really believe. At the end of the day. Now, having said that, um, let me let me make a point that in the early church, in the early church, they didn't have volumes and volumes written tomes of of what we were and are to believe. In fact, Andy Stanley, I was listening to him a few weeks ago, and he was saying that, you remember the passage where Jesus, we talked about it in one of these talks, where Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they gave him an answer. He says, but who do you say that I am? And he said, well, they said, Peter answered for him, said, you are the Messiah, the King, the Son of the living God. And Andy made the statement. He said, he said that really Jesus, and remember Jesus, I'm going to build my church on that rock. 
And he said, you know, Jesus is saying, I'll build my church on this one truth that I am the king, the son of the living, the son of the living God. And here's a thought. In other words, he was trying to stress that there wasn't this huge volume of things that early believers were to hold to other than that Jesus was the Messiah King and the Son of the living God. And here's, here's a thought for us. The oldest of creeds, I think, that we have, or one of the oldest surviving creeds that we have of the early church is from uh, 350, around 350 AD, 350, like 300 plus years after Jesus, one of the earliest creeds called the Apostles' Creed. And I want you to notice how thin it is. Let me listen to you. Let me read it to you. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, Catholic with little c, the, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Just imagine for a moment, if that was our only doctrinal statement that we had to affirm as believers, imagine how many fewer denominations we would have if somehow we could find unity around that creed from uh, 350 AD. Now, I need to say something really quickly here, lest your mind run off with you and you attribute to me things that I'm not saying this morning. I do not mean to imply that a robust understanding of the apostles' teaching is not important or even necessary. I think it is. But if we only had the belief, listen, if we only had the truth that Jesus is Lord and we had the, the apostles' stories of his life with his direct teaching, I, I believe that that truth alone would inform my behavior. It would, it would, it would inform how I live and, and what I am to do. So the question I'm asking all of us this morning is this. I hope you're tracking with me. Today is one of these messages that in my mind, it's very logical. So I don't feel like I'll muddy the waters this morning. But, but you know, uh, how is it that I'm to behave as a follower of Jesus? What am I to do? Well, how is, how is my life to be characterized, right? How are we to live? Now, let's go back to the night that Jesus the night before he's to be crucified. We spent a lot of time there last week looking at what he said about the Spirit and how the Spirit would come. And, and then we went on to talk about the Spirit life and what that means. I, I said that if we're going to change the world, we've got to be dependent on the Spirit. We've got to look to him. And we've, got to, we've got to seek his help. We've got to depend on him. And I said the, the outgrowth of that, I thought, would be through prayer. But on that same very night, earlier in the night, I want you to see Judas has already left to betray Jesus. And this is what he says to his disciples that same night. John 13, 34, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, now notice that Jesus doesn't give them a long list. There, there is not a, there is not a, a 30 numbered 
exercise of things there to do. There's just this one new commandment. And it wasn't new, but he, he wasn't exactly through yet either. Because he says, hey, um, it's a new commandment. And the, and the part that's new, the love one another really isn't new. But the part that's new is that we're to love one another like he loved us. That's the new part. Right? I want you to love one another as I have modeled it for you, as I have shown you how to do it. That's what I want you to do. Now, how did Jesus love them? Well, just two chapters later, you know, not very many verses later, sometime later in the night, maybe just a little while later, he says this. This is my commandment that you love one another. Remember just a few minutes ago, I gave you a new commandment, you love one another? And that's how everybody's going to know you belong to me? This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And then he says, greater love has no one than this, that a person lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So how do you love one? How are we to love one another so that everyone's going to take note? Well, we're to lay down our lives for one another. That's how we do it. Now, we could say, is Jesus being literal here and saying that we have to relinquish life? We have to give up life and literally die for one another. And the answer is yes, but it's much more than that. It's not just that. It doesn't necessarily have to culminate in that because Jesus laid down his life for you and me. Before he laid down his life on the cross and gave up life, he was laying down his life in pieces all the time. Now, let me, let me, here's Paul. Here's the Apostle Paul writing to his brothers and sisters in Philippi, whom he loved dearly. One of the few churches that just gave to him the whole time, right? These people, they loved him. He loved them. This is what he writes to them. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Messiah Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. What does a servant do? He lays down his life serving others. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So here's how Jesus laid down his life. He laid down his life by serving all of us. By While he's here, he's laying down his life serving people. That's what he's doing. He emptied himself serving. And, and you remember that same night, this same night, he gives them a visible illustration of this. Remember that? How he gets there and he, he takes off his outer clothes, wraps himself up or however, whatever he did, got the basin and begins to wash the feet of his disciples, something they didn't want to participate in because it was so humbling. And the master was doing that. And when he finished, when he sat down with them, he said, now this is what I'm talking about. As I have served you, you serve one another. On that night, he said that men, now listen carefully. Don't let me lose you. Don't, don't drift off on me this morning. Men would take note of us because, would take note of us that we belong to him because we loved each other like he loved us. That's what he says. People are going to take note that you belong to me because of how you love one another. And listen to me, that's exactly what happened. That's how the world was changed in so few years by our brothers and sisters in the early church. Because they did exactly what Jesus said. 
Apologist Tertullian, early third century, 230, around there, right? This is what he observes about the Romans. The Romans make this statement quite a bit, saying, Christians, see how they love one another. That's what the Romans would say about us. See how they loved one another. The early, and this is the early believers became known for their idealistic, I will die for you, give you my last coin, forgive you, walk with you, visit you, pray for you, suffer whatever out of love for you. They were known for that. Third century historian Eusebius recorded this about the Christians in a plague at that time. This is a little bit later in the 200s. He says, all, now quote, all day long some of them, that is the Christians, tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from famine and distributed bread to them all. Eusebius goes on to say about our brothers and sisters in those years that their compassion in the midst of the, of the plague was this. De and this is Eusebius, and I quote, Deeds were on everyone's lips. Christian deeds were on everyone's lips, and they glorified the God of the Christians. Such, such actions, this is Eusebius, such actions convinced them that they were uh, that they alone were pious and truly reverent to God. In other words, when the when the unbelievers of the Roman Empire watched and they said, "Look at what the Christians do! Look how they love one another!" And Eusebius says, "Look how they're loving us, the people who are dying of the plague. How they're burying them. How they're bringing them food." They looked and they, and people. Eusebius said they looked at that and they said these. People alone truly know God. These people alone really, you know, they really have the only true God. So here's a thought. Here's a thought. Christianity captured the attention of the world not because of what they believed, but because of how they behaved. Unless you hear me saying that what we believe is not important, you know, shame on you. I'm not saying that. But I have to say it because we tend to be a church. We, we in the evangelical world tend to be churches that fall on the side that it's what we believe that matters the most, right? And I'm trying to say it's what we believe and how we behave that are they're inextricably linked and they cannot be separated. And if we believe that Jesus is Lord, then our behavior is going to be different and, and people will see, oh, how they love Man, look at those people. And, 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 and again, you know, what, what if, and it's true, what, what grabbed their attention wasn't what they believed. You remember, I don't remember where it was, but it was, you know, as, as somebody showed it on the screen behind me not too long ago, one of the graffitis from back in that same time period where they have like a donkey on a cross. Y'all remember that? There's some graffiti that's left from back then, and there's a donkey drawn on a cross. And, and what they were doing is they were making fun of us, saying that our God was crucified. It's like, like a donkey dying on a cross. I mean, what we believed just didn't make sense to them. And, but what we did arrested their attention. Here's my challenge to us this morning. If our family is going to change Surrey and Alawite, and, and not just our family, but our brothers and sisters all around us, if we're going to change our community, then we have to freshly embrace this command of Jesus to go forth and love one another. 
I mean, we've got to stop, step back and say, God, what does this look like? How do I do it? How do I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And how do I love my neighbor? How do I love my my brother and sister? How do I love them like I love myself? What does it look like? What, What do I have to do for that to be seen by my neighbors? Imagine, imagine our neighbors skeptical of what we believe, but just amazed at how we treat one another. Just amazed about it. Or even, or even more so, shocked by how we treat them and what we do for them and how we care for them. You know, I've been trying to weave it in and I don't know how to weave it in, so I'm just going to throw it in here. Remember that thing we did about the uh, back when we were talking about generosity? I don't remember when it was or what even the series was. We were talking about generosity and how that church went out and paid people who had medical debt and the church went and paid down their medical debt. I'm telling you, that just floated on downstream for me, but I wanted our church to do that. I wanted our church to look and find out who has medical debt in Surrey, and let's just go pay it. Let's do our best to pay it. Hey, we, we don't need any more building. we got plenty of building. Let's, let's give, instead of giving to a building fund, let's give to medical debt that people might have. Let's, you know, let's give beyond what we give. Let's, let's, let's do something. Let's do something that says to the people all around us, man, those people... What they believe is weird, but what they do is amazing, isn't it? How they love one another. So my challenge is that we might, we might do that. And I, I think if, if we're going to be transformational, now listen, listen, remember I started off this morning by saying if there's a first priority for us, it is got to fall in love with Jesus. But if there's a second priority, I think this is it. We've got to learn to love people all around us in Jesus' name so they feel it and they see it. Now, when we talk about Jesus and his love, Jesus talked about love in three spheres. So I want to spend a few minutes just just unpacking each one of those spheres. Here's the first one. If we're going to love like Jesus loved, laying down our life, we, we are to love one another. That's the first sphere. In fact, the Bible says things like, hey, if we don't love each other, then, you know, we're of all men. What does it say? You know, we're worse than unbelievers if we don't love our own family. And I think that extends to the household of God. So the place where we're to love is to be right here amongst ourselves. We are to love each other. Nobody in our family should ever lack because the rest of us have plenty to meet their need. None of us should lack in the family. And, and, it's, and it's more than just financial, but, but we are to be there for one another. And if we're going to, Jesus said, Jesus said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, not because we have all our theology perfect. He said, you're going to know, they're going to know by your love for one another. That's how they're going to know that you're my disciples. So, so John walked with Jesus, right? I mean, he was, he was right there all the way to the end. He was, most, most people believe that when he wrote John's gospel, remember he talks about the disciple that Jesus loved? And most everybody believes that he's talking about himself. He didn't want to say me, right? He just called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And I told you, and I stand by this, I don't believe that John was saying, yeah, I'm the one he loved the most. I don't think that's what he was saying. I think he was trying to say, he loved all of you, but as for me, he loved me and I knew it. And that's how he was relating to Jesus, right? This guy writes to some really dear people to him, and he writes them First John. And it's a letter. It's in your Bibles, but but for just a second, it's the first time John is penning it. 
It's not in a Bible. John doesn't know it's going to be in a Bible. He's just writing to these dear friends about his own experience. And this is what he says to them. Chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message which you heard from the beginning, that we are to love one another. From the very beginning, this is what John kept telling everybody. We're to love one another. It's what you heard from the beginning. We're to love one another from the very beginning. And he has a little illustration in there, Old Testament illustration. And in verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. I mean, let me read that again. Let it sink in. We know that we have passed out of death into life because. Did you hear that? We know that we have eternal life because we love the brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother and sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life remaining in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and the sisters. We're to do what Jesus did for us. We're to do it for one another. That's what he says. And uh, how do we lay down our lives for each other? Well, John's not finished. He goes on. So look at what he says in verse 17. Whoever has worldly goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God remain in him? Little children, let's not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. I heard Andy talking about this, and I want to, I want to share with you. You know, the, the literally there where it says heart, you know, we, we, we talk about the heart. For the, for the Jews, it was the bowels. The bowels were the place where your emotions dwelt, right? So literally what it says is if a man closes his bowels against his brother, if he constipates himself. This is what Andy said. You may be full of something, but it's not love if you constipate yourself, right? I mean, it's graphic, but that makes the point, doesn't it? If we close up our bowels of compassion and we constipate, we choose to constipate ourselves when it comes to loving others. What does he say? He says, man, we, the, the love of God doesn't remain in us. If we have what can meet the need of someone else and we don't and we don't meet that need. We, we, we hold on to it instead of meeting someone else's need. And I, I realize, listen, some of you, like, you know, we have the, one of the directors of COP here, and, and I know there's, there's circumstances, there's people who are working the system, and, and sometimes the best thing we can do is say, no, I, I get all that, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about when there's a legitimate, real need. And, and unfortunately for us, the needs are not visible for us. They're somewhere else, really. And so we, we, we're not even open necessarily to, to allowing the love to flow. But he summarizes his statement there, and he says, we love not with words, we love with action, we love with truth. Let not your love be in tongue or word only. In other words, what this means is when it comes to loving each other, it's not just that we speak about it. We actually, we actually demonstrate it. We actually do it. So this morning, I want to ask you, as we, if, if we're going to reach the world around us, I'm going to ask you guys to love each other with a fresh love. I'm going to ask you to put on fresh eyes and say, how can I love my brothers and sisters 
in our church family. Here's what Paul said to that same Philippian group just before he talks about Jesus. He says this, if you've gotten anything out of all of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. But yourself, put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Now, that's the message paraphrase. So that's, that's a paraphrase. But I wanted to read it in a different language so maybe it would just it would strike a, a, a chord in our hearts. You know, that, that it's really about how do I serve you? How do I lift you up? How do I bless you? How can I lay down my wants and my, you know, I want to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to choose others over yourself. Because then when people see that, they're going to say, wow, how those people love each other. And they're going to want to know this strange God who would be willing to become one of us and then die for us. They're going to want to know him because they've seen the change that he makes in people's lives. Do you have a need? Do people around you have needs? Then meet them, everyone. Are you struggling? Ask for help and let us, let us meet it. Show hospitality to one another. How many of you invited other people in our church over to your homes that you might get to know them? People that you don't know. I mean, the early church practiced hospitality. So yeah, and they really needed it. They really were, they weren't the, you know, the Hampton Inn and the whatever, you know, the Red Roof Inn. There weren't, there weren't all these motel hotels everywhere. So hospitality was a really big thing when people came to town. So, so maybe we don't need to do the Red Roof Inn thing anymore, but man, we can still practice hospitality. We can still invite each other over to each other's houses. We can still get to know each other. We can still invest in each other's lives. And, and if for no other reason, just to get to know people a little bit, let's make our neighbors say something like this. Man, see, have you seen how those people down at the Castle family love each other? You know? Yeah, let me go on. Here's the second sphere. We are to love other people too. So the other sphere is we're to love each other, but then we're to love everyone else too. That's the second sphere. We're to love our neighbors and one of the most powerful stories in the Bible is what I've already alluded to and talked to you about is when the guy asked Jesus, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And he volu Jesus volunteers the seconds like it. But the, uh, the guy who asked the original question, the Bible says, I think, wanting to justify himself, he says, who's my neighbor? And remember, Jesus gives probably one of the best known stories of his ministry. And it's the story about the guy who's met by robbers on the, on the mountainside, and he's left for dead, but he's not dead. He's Jewish. And the guy, the first guy that comes along is a religious Jewish guy. And the Bible says, Jesus in his story says, yep, he looked at him and said, now I got places to go, I got places to be, and he walks on around him. And then another Jewish religious man comes by, and he looks at him over there in the ditch, and he says, man, if I touch him and he's dead, I'm going to be unclean. I can't, I can't do that. And he walks on by. And then the third guy that comes by, third guy that comes by, is, is a different ethnicity. And he's not just any different ethnicity. He's the ethnicity that the Jews tend to really not like the most. He's a Samaritan. And when he sees the guy in the ditch, he goes over, obviously knows he's Jewish, and he goes over and he rescues him. 
He finds out he's alive. He tends to his wounds, puts him on his horse, takes him into a village. Says, Will you take care of him? I'll pay you. Here's some money. And I'll pay you if you use more. I'll pay you for it when I get back. And then Jesus says, now tell me which guy is the neighbor. <laughs> and the guy goes, well, I guess. I guess it's the Samaritan guy. And it's, but what's Jesus' point? Jesus' point is that our neighbor is anyone who's in need around us. Our neighbor's anyone who's in need around us. So if we shut up our bowels of compassion to people around us who are not believers, then, then they're not going to know we're his disciples. So that's another, that's another sphere that you need to love in. A few, day, a few decades after Eusebius, the pagan emperor Julian, the apostate, recognized the Christian practice of compassion and how transformative it had been and how it had changed this little group of persecuted believers into the, the major uh, cultural religion of that day. And so he wrote to a pagan priest, and this is what Julian said, and I quote, when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priest, then I think the impious Galileans observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. They support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. So here's Julian saying to his pagan priest, look, man, you guys, you see, you see what they've done? They care about our poor. You guys need to do the same. And so he ordered his pagan priest to do the same. You know, the, they, people might be willing, but they lack the power. And they lacked the power. Why? Because they didn't have the spirit. They couldn't do what we did. They didn't care for the poor. And it was because of this, this generosity, this kindness, this love for others that the world was transformed. And if we're going to transform Surrey, we've got to have the same compassion for people around us. They, they're going to have to see it. What if our neighbors felt really compassion and love from us? Changing our community is not going to be an event-driven thing. And let's see if you, so that means that it's not going to be because we do a block party or we give ice cream at a national night out. Now, am I against those things? No, I think we should do those things. But it's not that. It's going to be when our love personally to our neighbors around us. And maybe, maybe, maybe I don't have to say personally, but it's going to be directed in such a way that it's specific and personal and people feel it. When our love inflames their love, then we'll change the community. Now, how, how do I love my neighbors indeed? Well, just a couple of weeks ago, Nancy suggested that we care for our teachers. Now, it's not personal, but that's a specific way that we can show love to our teachers in Surrey. Right. Donna, Donna mentioned a while back that we should start a literacy program in Surrey to help people who need help learning to, to read. Those are great ideas. I'll tell you what we need, family. We need thinkers. We need some of you. David Coggin, we need you and your thinking cap. To, to how, what are some specific ways we can we can love people in our day so they feel it? I need help. Maybe you know lots of ways, but in our isolated, independent, 
disconnected culture. I don't really know how to, to love my neighbor. I mean, maybe I do and I just don't do it. We've got a new guy moves down the road about two blocks from us or two miles from us. He's been there about two weeks. I drive by every, every time I drive by, which is on the way home, I think I need to get some cookies and I need to go by and introduce myself and just give him something and say, welcome to the community. Just show him love. My neighbors, who I, I've grown to love a little bit, young couple, new baby, and when we gave them a baby gift. But I thought, man, we could have done so much more. We could have done so much more to, to love that young couple, you know. And, and, and so here's what I'm saying. Listen, we gotta, we got to think. we got to think, how do we love our neighbor? And then we need to all love our neighbor. So, David, when I'm calling on you to have visions, right, when I'm calling on you to have ideas, I'm calling you to have ideas that you also live out, right? Donna, Nancy, I think I pick on them, but I pick on them in a good way because they're so, they, they've thought of ideas. We've got to all think of ideas. Maybe it's, maybe it's just go over and introduce yourself to your neighbors. Just go over and talk to your neighbors. We, we've got to love people around us. In the third sphere, I'm almost finished. The, the third sphere is the loving of our enemies. Jesus was so different than everyone before him, but in his wake, he's left all kinds of people behind that are just like him. In his most important sermon, I, I'm, I'm going to, if you watch The Chosen, if you watch The Chosen, right, in the last season, I think it's the last episode of last season, it's the Sermon on the Mount, and it's like his debut sermon in The Chosen, right? And it's, uh, but it was really one of his most consequential sermons. But this is what Jesus said, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect. Be perfect. Therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect, be perfect. How do you be perfect? By loving your enemies. That's what he says. He calls us to love our enemies. One of the earliest teaching manuals, discipleship manuals, that has survived is what we call the Didache. It's not without controversy, but it was written somewhere between 50 and 100, so it's really, really young as far as manuscripts are concerned. And I want to just read you the first chapter of the Didache, okay? And here's the chapter title. Now, whether this is in the Didache or somebody's put this title on there, I don't know. But here's the title, The Two Ways, the First Commandment. There are two ways, one of life and one of death, but a great difference between the two ways. The way of life then is this. First, you shall love the Lord your God who made you. Second, your neighbor as yourself and all things whatsoever you should, should not occur to you. And all things whatsoever you would should not occur to you. Do not also do to another. In other words, what don't do to them what you do to yourself. One one done to yourself. And of these sayings, the teaching is this. Bless, bless those who curse you. Pray for your enemies and fast for those who persecute you. For what is what reward is there if you love those who love you? Now remember, this is a discipleship manual for Christians. The Didache, the teaching. Do not also the Gentiles do the same, but love those who hate you, and you shall not have an enemy. Love those who hate you, and you will not have an enemy. Abstain from fleshly and worldly lust. 
If anyone gives you a blow upon your right cheek, turn to him the other also, and you shall be perfect. If someone impresses you for a mile, go with him too. If someone takes your cloak, give him also your coat. If someone takes what is takes from you what is yours, ask it not back, for indeed you are not able. Give it, give to everyone that asks you, and ask it not back, for the Father wills that uh, to all should be given uh, of our own blessings, free gifts. Happy is he that gives according to the commandment, for he is guiltless. Discipleship manual of the first century, first chapter. Love God, love your neighbor, and love your enemy. Paul wrote to the church at Rome, Romans 12, Do not repay evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourself. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. If your enemy is hungry, starve him. If your enemy is thirsty, go drown him. That's what I would want to do with my enemies, right? But that's not what God says we're to do. We're to feed him and we're to give him something to drink, to do him good. And I tell you, verse 21 has always been, from the beginning of my following Jesus, verse 21 has always been one of my favorite verses. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Marvin Olasky, who is the... um, senior editor of the World Magazine and the World and Everything in It. And, you know, if you're familiar with that, if you're not, please ask me about it afterwards. I'd love to tell you about it. But he's a senior editor. He was Jewish. When he was young, he was an atheist. He was a communist. And he began to read his New Testament. And you know what captured his attention? I heard his testimony just yesterday. In his testimony, he said this, what captured my attention was that as a communist, I was taught to hate my enemy. But here I'm reading Jesus' ethic, love my enemy. And he said, it just arrested me. Martin Luther King Jr. said so many profound things and so many things that Jesus agreed with. And the reason why Jesus agreed with them because Jesus said them first. And Dr. King just kind of made them practical. But this is what Dr. King said. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate. Violence multiplies violence. And toughness multiplies toughness in a descending spiral of destruction. The chain reaction of evil, hate begetting hate, war producing more wars, must be broken or we shall be plunged into the dark abyss of annihilation. Then he said this years before he said that. He said this, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. That's what the Didache said. Maybe he got it from there. Hate begets hate. Violence begets violence. Toughness gets a greater toughness. We must meet the forces of hate with the power of love. I think that's what Jesus is saying to us. So how do I live this out with regard to my enemies today? You know, we don't have enemies that are quite like the Romans were to the Christians of those days or whatever. But, but here, here's what I think. Who is your enemy? Who do, who do you dislike? Who would you put in that category of enemy? And then I would say, love them with the attitude of your heart. Root out hate towards them. If you have to name them, name them. And then say, God, by the Spirit, help me root out hate towards my enemies. Reject your social media platform as a sniper nest by which you can shoot people. Seriously, 
And if you don't understand that metaphor, ask me about it afterwards. Don't use your words to marginalize and demean people made in the image of God for whom Jesus died. In debate, we have this thing called an ad hominem argument. You know what an ad hominem argument is? An ad hominem argument in debate is when you don't know, you can't debate the real issue. And so what you do is you attack the other debater and you say stupid and bad things about him or her to minimize them, to marginalize them so you don't have to deal with the very issues. Listen, I think loving our enemies means that we go against ideas and we combat wrong ideas and ideas that don't result in flourishing. But we are we don't mock and belittle our opponents. We, we don't we don't use our words to destroy. We use our words to build up and we destroy ideas. We bring down wrong ideas. I'm calling you and me. And even if the rest of you don't get any of this, even if it doesn't touch your heart at all, it has touched my heart. I want to love I want to love afresh. I want to love you all. I want to love my neighbors in a fresh way. I want to love my enemies. And I want it to be so, so evident, so persistent, so definitive that people just can't help but notice and can't help but say they've got to do something with it. They've got to do something with it. Jesus said, let love distinguish you. Let love mark you. Let love mark you in your marriages. Let love mark you in your relationships. Let, mark, let love mark you in your neighborhood. Serve, give, bless, lay down your life for one another. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.